Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski here with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. We have a whole slew of new releases to talk about. And for the most part, it's going to be a great adventure for you all. Going to the cinemas and watching some of the greatest masterworks that have ever been created. And I do not say that lightly. There's a couple here that I would count as now, going forward, my favorites of all time. Um, we're going to start with Pain and Glory, a Pedro Almodovar film that uh, I really liked and um, a lot of people like. Yeah, critics um, are, are loving it. But um, maybe not everybody liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me let me just give you a little sense of it. It stars Antonio Banderas, and he, he's he's just a, a fabulous role. It's very understated, and the, I think the film is a bit more understated than what you're used to with Amodovar. But don't don't you know? Don't let that stop you. Uh, it's an intense scru- scrutiny of an elderly character who resembles, to a great degree, uh, Almodovar himself. And so, yes, it's semi-autobiographical, and it's basically this filmmaker at a certain stage in his life. He's gotten to a certain place. He finds he's in a rut. He's sort of rethinking and everything and reexamining everything. And and all of this has gotten him stuck in a creative block. And so it's very much a character study. Um, But also uh, what I liked about the film very much was the way it was carefully crafted by Almodovar. It was like... More like a pastiche, you know. It's it's not yeah, this sort of buildup of scenes. It's not this continual flow. Um, it's more of a pastiche of moments and scenes, and then things start to come together very slowly. And he ties everything up at the end in an interesting way. I won't tell you whether it's happy or sad, um, but it's also. Um, not a lot of camera movement, quite still. So, and so in this pastiche, it's kind of blunt in some ways. Like you just jump from one thing to the next. But it, eventually you realize they're related. And, and what I really appreciated about the film, not just because of the vivid colors, which is such a, to me, I don't know, Almodovar thing to do, uh, really brings things to life, but also the very blunt voiceover. This is a man reflecting, and he's telling you about it, and he's being very blunt. And in many cases, that means he's being very hilarious. And uh, he's just, you know, he's had it. And you can tell in in his statements about life, himself, other people. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I found it fascinating. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one as well. Um, I, I didn't love it like a lot of critics did, especially coming out of TIFF. Um, and maybe the the buzz about it had my expectations a little too high, but I still recommend this film. I still think people should see it. It's a w- very interesting and entertaining look at aging, but also art. And what I like about this film is it has a lot of unique questions about not just the nature of art and creativity, but what happens to people who have been defined by art and when they can no longer produce what has defined mm-hmm. them, you know, like yeah, that helplessness. That yeah. They what, feel. What, what are you now? You're now just a irregular person. And this film tackles the issue of memory a lot and memories 
connection to the creative process, but also how memory can alter how we view the past in many ways and our, our perception of things. And I think what I liked about this film the most wasn't necessarily um, Salvador, but um, the character that Antonio Banderas plays, not necessarily his play in terms of trying to find that creative spark, but it was in some of the connections that he made mm-hmm. along the way of life. Like this is a film about an artist, but it's really, for me, what I got out of it most was about just human connection. And there's a scene where Salvador reunites with an old lover who played a prominent role in his life and in his, in his art. And just, you know, the one simple scene of them together, it's not even that long. No. But it's fascinating to watch. It's like yeah. one of the best things of that film. And then when you get allusions to how that particular individual influenced the art, you know, a few scenes earlier, that even has a little more resonance in the way how it's filmed and very stylistically at that point. Like the film really kind of comes to life mm-hmm. when they talk about this particular mm-hmm. side character. And I find that really, really fascinating. But, you know, that I felt like that happened, and I agree with you, and I feel like it happened even despite Salvador. Mm-hmm. His his instincts, his whole, his whole modus operandi throughout the film and the connections still happen for him. Yeah. Even now, he's he's so he seems to be almost rejecting them, and in the end, he can't. And it's that moment that I think uh, changes things for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the, the the vision of the past that has been comforting before is now something different. Yeah. And it's it's it just starts to to change sort of the movement of the film after that that moment. But yeah, you that's that's a defining moment perfectly i agree and there's a certain arrogance to to salvador that i know well is, that's what i was talking about the bluntness right is, is, <laughs> it's fascinating but also <laughs> off-putting and I, that's the perfect thing like you you really there's times where you're like i really can't stand you salvador <laughs> but i'm very fascinated by your your story and your life and you know a lot of the people around him i find were really interesting but Salvador is so dismissive to them. He's dismissive to his fans. Like he's dismissive to certain works of his that are beloved, you know, for the most minuscule reasons. And then, but you also get aspects of him growing up and you see his life and you see how he grew as an artist by traveling and exploring the world, like little details like that bring a richness to the character. And I think Banderas deserves a lot of credit for what he does in this film Mm. because this could have easily been a simple tale of an aging director who's upset that the world has passed him by. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, but Banderas brings uh, yeah. a nuance and a really rich texture to the film. And as you said, it's a very subtle performance. But, Which is also, yeah, very yeah. nuanced as well. So as much as you're annoyed by Salvador, Banderas makes you want to follow him and also feel for him, especially at key, yeah. key you, scenes. You, you can't believe his arrogance and you want to write him off and then he does something and you just want to, you know, I just mm-hmm. want to hug him. Yep. And I can't, it's like, I can't believe you did that. I love you. Mm-hmm. You're such a schmuck. <laughs> but he does a lot of stuff that just really, really irks you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's he's fascinating in that way. Um, so, yeah, in theaters uh, uh, on Friday, 
Mm-hmm. October the 25th. All the films that we're talking about are going to open on October 25th. So this this is uh, Pain and Glory we were talking about by Pedro Almodovar or Almodovar as the credits in this the, this film announce. Mm-hmm. So which one were we going to go to next? I think you want to talk about Jojo. You want to start us off on that Taika Waititi's latest film. Because I feel like I could go on forever and for all the best reasons. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a wonderful work. He's a he's a director who, at least in my humble opinion, has not made a bad film. And his films just keep getting better. Like he, he shows he can do small films, small character studies. He can bring interesting nuance and humor to Marvel films. Uh, with Thor Ragnarok and his latest one, Jojo Rabbit, I think is probably his maybe his best work or at least top two because there's a lot that he does in this film and it's Jojo Rabbit's a type of film that is very difficult to pull off. Oh, and absolutely! Con- just considering the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt. No, you. no, but it's it's people are going to look at it as a comedy because it's it's a very funny movie. It's about. A young boy who's in, I think it was Hitler's Youth. The Hitler, the, yeah, there was the a little Hit, camp. Well, basically, Hitler organized everyone in society, and so the Hitler Nazi Youth was, you know, his way of training the next wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should probably just say, uh, off the the bat, <laughs> that it's a it is about Hitler, and it is a comedy. And um, if this gives you uh, any concerns? Keep in mind that Taika himself um, is Jewish. I know that that has become an issue for some people, and that people are divided because the Holocaust itself is an issue. Where can you make jokes about the Holocaust? And uh, it has been debated, right? And so I'm sorry that to interrupt your no, no, your, your intro to the film. It's just that. Um, Please ever let everyone know where we're coming from, right? Yeah, but I, th- I think even with this film, regardless of what you think it is, you'll be su- surprised by it. Uh, you know what? Absolutely. And, and You're right. I think because it, it is – the comedy is ridiculous at times. It's, it's you know very satirical. Um, this little boy is in Hitler's youth. He idolizes Hitler. His imaginary friend is played by Taika Waititi as a really – child version of Hitler or at least a version of Hitler that you would expect from like a 10 year old boy yeah kinda, he's, he's a very childish goofy, yeah. childish uh, character and you but know, it's his imaginary yeah. Hitler and he, his <laughs> whole goal is to to one day be able to be the Fuhrer's like right hand man like he wants to grow up and be that that great soldier and then he discovers that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in his sister's room or in the wall, crawl space of his sister's room. And having to confront the quote-unquote other that he's never, ever seen. And that he's been, he's brainwashed, been yeah, brainwashed into thinking is some sort of a freak of nature. Like mm-hmm. the, the things that they that they were teaching the children that, that Jewish people were, which is, you know, they had – I don't know horns in their head. I mean, you've heard that 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 nonsense, mm-hmm. but this gets played out in the film by this kid. Yeah, and it's him. You're following this ten year old boy trying to come to terms with what he's been told, but what he's now experiencing with his own eyes. And I think this film is extremely relevant today. Absolutely, you know, especially I agree. when we're talking about 
being indoctrinated to certain ideologies um, and having views of the other, you know, whether in this case it's Jewish people, if you want to bring it in today's terms, it could be immigrants, migrants, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, when you actually have to interact with a person face to face on a human level, it breaks away so many barriers and so much of that supposed hatred you know gets challenged because you're now seeing the person as you should see them a a human so as an individual as an individual so it's a wonderful comedy that hits some really deep dramatic beats and then has you laughing again and then has you crying again and then has you laughing it's it's such a tough film to pull off, but I think um, Taika Waititi did a, a phenomenal, absolutely job phenomenal job. I, I, at the end, I felt like, like, like I used to feel, you know, when, mm-hmm. when I was discre- discovering the great works of cinema. That's why I'm saying, like, you know, in the intro, I was saying that, you know, a couple of these films are are going to be on my list. Are are on my list of some of my favorite films of all time. Um, this one and, and and Parasite, which we will talk about next, mm-hmm. um, because it, I think in both cases um, y- we're witnessing a director um, pushing boundaries. Uh, in the, I'll explain how in this case pushing boundaries and playing with form, content, expectation, um, subject, like just pushing everything and mixing up everything in in such novel ways mm-hmm. that it's it's almost like a new vision of cinema. You know, like this is this is like this is like a masterful these are these are filmmakers working at the highest skill level mm-hmm. that truly, truly understand what cinema can be, and by mixing and and because what you, as you said it it's it's it can be ridiculous and it can be heartbreaking, it, and it can shift so quickly and it makes sense and that that's the gift that that I think Waititi has is is his ability to make it seem so logical and yeah. because it's I get the beginning it's it starts from the fact that it's from a child's point of view that's the brilliance of it but it's from a child's point of view almost like like a Bugs Bunny version, which was, mm-hmm. we understood Bugs Bunny when we were watching it as children. We understand it differently. And so it's like the two moments get collapsed where we're watching the child's point of view, but the adult in us is watching and appreciating so much how YTT is just like pushed it up to the highest level of ridiculous. And I, you know, people in the audience were cheering when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And and just the laughing out loud, and you can laugh when the the film is about Nazis because the film is just making the highest mockery of mo- Nazis, like they are the most ridiculous things about the film and the situations. And it, it for me, it was like this operatic scale that it it hit on you know mm-hmm. where it was like operatic it's like bigger than normal but yet it's it's like great art it's like it's got the great themes and it's it's got the great all all the great truisms are in it and that's this film is very much about what's truth and it's very much about 
war and how horrible it is. And in some ways, you know, if I'm going to use musical terms, it's like a requiem for people who died in, in wars, people who died under the most unfair, tragic of circumstances. But in other ways, it pushes from that into some sort of symphonic celebration of life. This is the most life-affirming film I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's a film that shows, especially in today's climate, where thanks to social media, everyone is on edge about everything. And you have people now, especially a lot of comedians... Um, of a particular type and a particular generation saying, oh, you can't, you can't make edgy comedy anymore. Mm-hmm. And Taika just showed, yes, you can. You can make it and like true, great, edgy comedy, it makes people think. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not doing this stuff just for shock value. He's doing it in a way that you're laughing, you're cringing, you're crying, but the entire time you're thinking and you're associating it to your life, not just like something that happened way back when exactly yeah it's it's a great film he's tapping into like a level of humanity that i hope like the 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 state that i i will never forget the state that i was in when i at the end of the film Mm -hmm. it was it was this complicated magical um indescribable but uh, essentially like the most the most joyous kind of, you know? Yeah, that's great. It, 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 I, I just, it's brilliant. I think it's a masterwork. Yeah, and I, I, I think the next one is also oh, goes see, up there as well. Yeah, and it's, here you it's go. a good week for cinema. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So when it comes to the, my favorite works of, of cinema, so, you know, I have to make room. I've made room now for Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. which is opening in theaters October 25th. And uh, as well, uh, you're going to have to choose between that and Parasite. But that's okay because they're both, you know, playing in theaters. So you can, whatever, whichever one you can choose, you can just go to the other one the next day. Or just or do a that, double feature. Just, <laughs> just do make, a double yeah, feature. make a day of it. Go see one, have lunch, and then go see the other one. Exactly. Because it, in essence, Parasite is um, a mix of, of comedy and tragedy as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a satire as well. Uh, and Parasite is by the great Bong Joon-ho, who's, who was known for his really unique takes on horror thriller, mm-hmm. you know. And he's he's now very much become a master of blending genres, which I mean he he was always doing, but now you can you can have comedy and and you can have silly comedy, and you can have. Um, the tr- most tragic or you, and you can have like the most classic horror scene all together yep you know and that's that's the kind of cinema he's known for and in fact he won a palm door at uh, this year's Cannes festival rightly so because uh, in my in my view this is just as complicated in, in its in its it's simple it's simple in its approach but it, it's it's the most complicated in terms of its cinematic vision as well because it because of the way it mixes so many things mm-hmm. and um it at times i find operatic is the word of the week for me it's like oh, it hits these it, operatic it like levels where you just 
you're in awe of what you're seeing. You know, it's absolute awe. And uh, so it's a blending of moods. I mean, this one is thrilling. And, and I have to say, there's a level of absurdity. Well, yeah, the, the, the premise makes it seem kind of absurd because you have this really poor family who systematically, one by one, find themselves working for a very wealthy family. And while working for the wealthy family, Wait, they find pretend. themselves. Um, they <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, no. Syst- systematically, right? They they, they systematically orchestrate. make sure that they yes. all have jobs at, uh, with this one rich family, extremely rich family, and they are extremely poor. Yeah, and but when working for the family, they all have to pretend that they don't know each other. Like they all, mm-hmm. they all kind of come through via referrals. Yeah, well, it's like they're all referring to each other. Like, no, they're all referring each other. It's it's like a master plan, mm-hmm. which is pl- making a plan is like one of the themes in the in the film. It's like never make a plan. That's the the, the dad's advice to the son: never make a plan because it, it always has a chance of failing. If you have no plan, everything will it it, it can't fail. Yes, but as we find <laughs> out, though, but there's... so somehow they orchestrate this, and it, supposedly it's not a plan. Yeah, it's 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 not a plan, even though it is a plan. But it they is. also find out <laughs> that regardless of whether or not you um, premeditate something or just f- fly by the seat of your pants, there's always outside forces that will hinder. That and things that they don't anticipate, and it's very interesting trying to see them pull this con off. But also, the film gets dark at times. It's funny at times, and there's a really biting commentary on the the wealth and class divide in society. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And how the the rich for you know a rainy night for the rich is well you know you can send the kid out in the backyard in a tent and through the walkie-talkie we can monitor them you know it's all a fun night whereas if you're poor rain is is near death right like it's not just simple drops it's flooding it's a whole bunch of things it's systems being backed up it's fascinating just to see the divide and then how the those who have belittle and talk down of those who don't because they never really see them you know even when they're connecting with them they don't actually truly see them for who they are they're just there to serve a purpose mm-hmm. and it's it's a wonderful film there's images in this film that will not leave your brain and not in a in a bad way but again we there's aspects of seeing certain things from children's point of views and that's why I think when the film gets into the really horror thriller genre parts. Yeah. But then there's times when you're seeing it from some of the other characters' views and you get the more comedic parts exactly. or yeah. the more dramatic. It's it's It takes you through a range of, of emotions and yet you still come out feeling like everything fits together perfectly. You That's it. Mm-hmm. You nailed it on the head. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and when I think of the, the, the extreme highs and the extreme lows of this film and how... It is a, an absolutely logical film, you know. And when I say the extreme highs, I mean like the some of the 
uh, wickedest humor that you've seen, you know, especially mm-hmm. when they're setting – especially when they're trying to make the, their no-plan plan go into action around the housekeeper. I'll just say that. Um, that – I mean, that's a, it's, it's a glorious, hilarious kind of um, a sequence, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's others where, you know, you suddenly discover um, the really, really dark side of being, you know, the servant mm-hmm. and being forgotten. And there's also, we, we mentioned this in Pain and Glory about having the lead who is arrogant and somewhat despicable. And in this case, the the family that is poor, you love them, you love following them, but they really do some horrible things. <laughs> yes, and yeah, I, absolutely. And you understand that, well, they're just trying to get ahead and what have you, but they do some horrible things. But, by but the, we're rooting them for them, though. Yeah, but by by the end of the film, though, even though they've done bad things, you still question, well, are they worse or are they just just as bad but in a different way as those who have like it's a very interesting question it is it is but i would argue what pushes that ending uh into happening right Mm -hmm. that one there's this little trope that goes throughout uh the film that that um really highlights the difference that the family sees between the, classes, the rich family yeah. yeah the rich family sees between themselves and the lower class um, as they look upon them that that it, how can you not okay well so there's a moral ambiguity at the end in which you know Courtney's going mm, I don't know well, no, and not, I'm going oh, can I'm, you blame I, the guy I'm not even I'm not even disputing the ending, which I, I won't spoil. I was just thinking throughout the film, like I wasn't even picturing the ending. I was just, you know, they they do some really bad things, but <laughs> you love them. And the the wealthy people do some bad things, but more out of because they just don't care. Like they they because they, they, can. they, they don't like realize they don't that think. they, they don't, don't realize they're doing think. bad things. Yeah, no, they don't have to the think. The people who know they're doing bad things are doing bad things, but they're doing it to get a better goal. Like it's it, You mean it's, the rich people? Wait, no, wait, wait. I'm <laughs> saying like the 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 wealthy um do bad things, but their a lot of their bad things come from their arrogance, their lack of not really seeing, right? They just kind of exist. They jump to conclusions. They don't really investigate whereas the poor family goes through a lot of does a lot delivery does a lot of bad things in hopes of a better end Mm -hmm. right so it's just it's fascinating how you see that play out with the backdrop of the social structure Mm -hmm. and how unforgiving and how unfair Exactly. It, it is. Well, that's, so. that's why, you know, when it comes to the ending, it's like, uh, can I blame the guy? And also, in the, in, the, in the way the film builds up, it builds up, and as the family get closer to the rich family, and there's this point where it's like, oh, why can't we have this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, how, how can I not l- relate to that? How can we, who are not upper or lower class, but probably more sympathetic to the lower class, right? How can we not go, 
Yeah, for all that you are lacking, for all, all that makes your life that difficult, it's the money, it's capitalism. And it's like, yeah, why is there such a big di- divide? And why don't you deserve that? Yeah, and I, Everyone that, deserves that. But I think also that because of capitalism, we are trained to sympathize with the, the Kim family, the poor family, but most of us aspire to be the wealthy family. Yes. And I mean, and again, the film's also making comments about that as well. Like, there's so many layers <laughs> to this film. So it's, it a, it's one of those films that you will have fun watching over and over. Especially, I'm just going to throw one thing at you before we, uh, we wrap up talking about this film. Uh, did you know, I just found this out. It just came out in the news. Bong Joon-ho just recently admitted that Apocalypse Now was an influence. Oh, really? Bong Joon-ho, living in South Korea, uh, Apocalypse Now was banned when it came out in 1979. He didn't see it until 1988 as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I saw this article going by on social media, and it was a source, like a A trusted, legitimate source that actually had an an interview with Bong Joon-ho. Um, and he said, it's an influence. Interesting. And, hmm? That's interesting. That gives us a whole other layer. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I would assume there's a lot of influences going on in that film. Oh, yeah. Like, I was he, even he thinking cited, like Hitchcock. And oh, yeah. Not, but, he loves yeah. Hitchcock. But, and he, he specifically cited Psycho. Interesting. Those are, because of the mansion. Yeah. Right? This focus on the mansion in Psycho. Or the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. And the mansion in this one. Oh, that's interesting. It's I mean, like I the wanna, source. I want to revisit those mysteries, films yeah? and, then, and then watch this one again. Yeah, and then yeah, because in this it, the house, whatever you think of it, it 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 ends up standing as this place of intrigue mm-hmm. and this place it, that is not what it seems. Yeah. So anyway, think about Apocalypse Now, everyone, and go see Parasite, which is also. Opening on the 25th. And so, Courtney, you're going to help us close out the show. Speaking of horrid, scary visions in the cinema. Oh, yes. Um, Robert Eggers' new film, uh, The Lighthouse, opens this week. And if you, if the name Robert Eggers sounds familiar, he did the horror film The Witch uh, a few years ago that was a festival sensation um and people had very wild reactions to that film and i think the lighthouse is i I think it's not even just a a step above it's just a wonderful film where what i've said about the lighthouse is sit down watch it let the insanity wash (laughs) over you (laughs) and you'll have a great time because the film is about Two two men who are stuck on a lighthouse, working at a lighthouse for, I guess it's four weeks. Uh, one of them is played by William Dafoe and the other one by Robert Patterson. And William Dafoe is like the seasoned veteran who kind of knows what to do. Um, and then his name is Thomas in the film. And then you have Abraham played by uh, Robert Patterson, who's the young guy that's kind of uh, working to get... You know, just get through the shift and he gets all the grunt work stuff 
whereas the actual... Well, he's the younger one, right? He's the younger one, whereas the actual manning of the lighthouse itself is done by Thomas. And after all, Abraham gets a little antsy and keeps wondering, well, what's going on in the lighthouse? Why do you keep spending so much time there? And slowly as these two endure harsh weather and, you know, the film's in black and white, so everything is just gray and dirty <laughs> they slow you start to and see stormy. and storm you start to see a, a descent into to madness start to occur and strange things start to happen on the isle of the lighthouse and you start to as an audience you start to question is you know thomas going insane or maybe it's abraham who's going insane. maybe it's us the viewer who's going <laughs> insane it's, it's just a wonderful descent into madness where you will see Two of the best performances this year. Absolutely, um, yeah. The Robert Pattinson is is phenomenal in the film. Ro- William Dafoe goes places, and we've seen William Dafoe go places before. <laughs> yeah. But he there's a particular monologue towards the end of the film that he really, as an actor, gives it his all. He just goes for it. Yeah, and it's oh. a wonderful film. It's creepy it's not too disturbing so it, i don't think it's too gory i would say it's not gory yeah, no so. but you know um what it reminded me of and i you know i said this when we talked about it at uh, at tiff was it really had this sort of silent if you guys have watched silent film horror movies this this has that kind of aesthetic so it's it's like not a horror film in the very pure sense of the word that people are using it in now, but in an old-fashioned kind of sense, in in the way that it's like the darks are so dark, you know, in the way mm-hmm. the cinematography goes, in the way it goes so so dark and so white, you know, it really plays with just that aesthetic of black and white photography so much and creates so much mood and atmosphere and creepiness just from that. And then you've got these... Th- stellar performances on top of that and yeah yeah and there's a lot of um i don't want to say psychedelic imagery but there's a lot of wild imagery (laughs) this is one of the few films about madness where you actually feel like it just radiates like you feel like you are being thrown down this very dark and disturbing rabbit hole and as the men are trying to navigate what's going on you're trying to navigate and you, you, you feel on par with them. Oh, you yeah. Know? And you, you come out of the film kind of wanting to talk like a sailor and <laughs> <laughs> get some scotch. It's, it's a, it's a you need, really You definitely need hard liquor after this. It's really fascinating <laughs> and wonderful film that you just have to see. Because words cannot describe this film. You just have to go Which see Which is the best it. kind of cinema. Mm-hmm. The, you have to see it. You cannot describe it. It's genius. Yep. See? So much genius. All, all coming out on one day. Yeah, it's well, you know, it's the fall season is officially here, so you're going to get all the award season titles. Yes. And I would not be surprised um, if all f- the films that we saw, you know, come Oscar time, there's different nominations and different categories for for each one of these films. Hopefully, multiple. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so that is it for Frame Line for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>